getting back up after blowing it. That is the theme for this morning's online gathering is every one of us can relate to having regret or having remorse or having done things that we're not proud of. And I'm married for almost 20 years. I could share some stories that I'd be happy to share with you on things that I've done that are, are not God honoring and other things that I wouldn't be happy to share with you that have done or have happened. And that's just the nature of life in our fallen world. Every one of us struggle and things happen to us or we act foolishly. And even in this COVID-19 quarantine where there's high stress and there's frustration and in my observations when, when we're emotionally down or bored, that's when we tend to kind of drift towards things that are not always healthy or draw us away from our God and And so this morning, I just want us to really focus our hearts and our minds on this reality that all of us blow it. All of us do things that we wish we hadn't. So the question is, what do we do? How do we respond? And more importantly, how does our God respond to us after we have blown it? And so getting up after blowing it when we've messed up. And we're going to consider this today from God's Word in John 21. So the Gospel of John, 21st chapter. If you had a Bible, you may, you may want to turn there. Maybe as looking for that text, maybe even right now you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm not so much thinking about my past failures. I'm thinking more right now. Like I'm going through a hard time or a season of a sense of failure right now. And so what do I do? How do I, how do I find freedom and real joy from whatever is just keeping me from experiencing God's presence? So I believe that God has a word for his people today for those of you that are struggling right now with something or those that are maybe struggling with something happened in the past and wanting to just move forward in victory and in hope and with faith and believing that there really is hope after failure. So let's look at John 21, the first 14 verses. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So this happened right after Jesus had died and they hadn't seen Jesus yet. And Peter, being a a professional fisherman, says, I'm going back to my old profession. This isn't him saying, hey, let's go to the lake for the weekend and just kind of do some casual fishing. This was, let's go back to our, our old life of commercial fishing. Jesus is dead. So let's go back to what we know. And the others say, Peter, we're right with you. Let's go back to fishing. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the water, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. 
that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. So they knew this is supernatural. They fished all night, caught nothing. In the morning, this guy on the shore says, cast your net in. They do, and there's this huge cache of fish. And so now what you have here is they're saying, that is Jesus who's talking to us. He is resurrected. It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. They were not far off from the land, but a hundred yards off. And so Peter, being typical Peter with a act first, think second, just jumps into the sea and starts swimming to shore. And, and the rest of the disciples, who are just a hundred yards away, come back into the shore with this huge catch of fish. Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. So they get to shore, Jesus is there, and they, they know, okay, this is Jesus, but they haven't seen him yet since he resurrected from the dead, and he has breakfast for them. And they sit down, and they eat. Now it says, now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. So with the fish, now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples, after he was raised from the dead. This is amazing because there he is on the Sea of Galilee, sometimes called Sea of Tiberias because that is the largest city that was there on the shore. So here's Sea of Tiberias, same, same body of water, and he's feeding them breakfast. And, and so the rest of this chapter, the rest of chapter 21, which concloses the book of John, shows us an encounter. It shows us exactly what happened between Jesus and Peter in the conversation that they had. It's a powerful encounter of how Jesus wants to lift us up, raise us up after we have truly messed up or are struggling or just blown it in life. But to know the context, we need to go back to John chapter 13. In that scene, it was the night before Jesus was betrayed and then crucified. And Jesus is telling him that he has to go away. But, but Peter, no, no. Peter says, Jesus, I will die for you. And Jesus says, really, Peter? You're going to die for me? Tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny even knowing me three times. And that is exactly what happened. And the parallel text to Matthew 26 and Luke 22 also give us more insight. So in the Matthew uh, accounts of this event, it says that Peter was swearing. He was, he was dropping F-bombs and cursing and taking oaths, saying, No, I don't know him. And, and trying to make it very clear that he doesn't know Jesus. And he was just lying and denying Jesus. And then in Luke 22, it tells us that right when... 
Peter had denied Jesus three times because he was afraid that Jesus is now arrested and Jesus is in trouble and he's being interviewed on this kangaroo court by the high priest. And Peter is afraid that he would get arrested too. And right when he denied Jesus a third time, the rooster crowed. And he remembered what Jesus said. And it says in Luke 22 that Jesus turned and looked right at Peter. Peter went out and wept bitterly. And so now this is the first time that Peter is going to see Jesus after what he did, after Peter blew it bad, really messed up. We can all relate to having done things that just leave us feeling full of shame and guilt. And that was Peter just broken over what he did. And so the rest of this chapter John 21 tells us a conversation that Peter and Jesus had after what Peter did in blowing it. Let's read that, verses 15 through 25. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now let's just stop there for a second. Like they're having breakfast. Can you just imagine that meal? They're eating fish. They're eating bread. They're on the shore. I'm sure they... It's beautiful hearing the waves and just enjoying being together. And yet imagine how tense this meal without a word being spoken where Peter knows what he did to Jesus and Jesus knows what Peter did. And then after they eat, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep sheep. So Peter denied Jesus three times and now here Jesus three times is asking him if Peter loves him. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. He says, you will die. And church history confirms that that Peter was indeed crucified. And so Peter here is hearing, you're going to die for my glory. And Jesus says, follow me. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John who wrote to the gospel following them, the one who had been reclining at the table close to him. And he said, Lord, who is it that you are going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to him, Lord, what about this man? Peter says, what about John? What are, is he going to suffer? Is he going to die too? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus says, don't worry about John. Don't worry about his life or his journey or his struggles. You, Peter, whatever it costs, follow me. So the saying spread abroad the brothers that this 
disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is a disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose, that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So what we see here is absolutely beautiful. We're seeing Jesus at work and restoring Peter after he had blown it. This story shows us the wonders of Jesus and how he takes away your shame and our guilt and brings us back up after just really messing up. And there are four steps that we're seeing here in the story. And these steps show us exactly how we can, by faith, have Jesus lift us up and restore our soul after we've blown it. Step one, number one, it's recognize that you've blown it. You have to start there. You have to acknowledge that you have blown it. We see that with Peter. When he first denied Jesus, heard the, the, the rooster crow, sees Jesus look at him, it says that he wept. And so he recognized what he did. He was broken over his sin. And so often we can just want to deny that we sin. We can just either minimize our sin or try to justify it or shift the blame to someone else rather than look in the mirror and just acknowledge the truth that we have sinned. The Bible refers to this as confession. Confessing our sin is a agreeing with God about what we've done. It is not a denying or a minimizing. It is not like whenever I talk to a couple and he's angry at her for X, Y, and Z. She's angry at him for A, B, and C. They're angry at each other. They're pointing fingers. And by God's grace, I just want to say, will you stop and don't blame her and don't blame him. Can you just recognize what you've done and let God deal with him or with her just acknowledge what it is that you have done and how you are not being the man or woman that God is calling you to be. It begins with a recognizing our sin. But this is hard. This is subjectively a very hard thing to do because we can lie to ourselves and, and try to convince ourselves and say things like, well, Jesus understands. I'm weak or I have needs, or my parents, or my diagnosis, or these unique circumstances. Jesus understands, it's not that bad, I'm okay. And we just rationalize away our behavior or our attitudes. And what it does is it draws us far away from God and it breaks all of our relationships and it leaves us enslaved. It leaves us honestly in bondage to sin. And God can bring us a confession in lots of different ways through hearing a sermon, reading the Bible, uh, a focused prayer time, um, journaling your heart and pouring it out before God, reading a book, meeting with a friend or your spouse. There's so many ways that God's Spirit uses to bring us to the point where we recognize that we're wrong, 
But every single one of these ways will have two realities in common. We're brought to confession because the Word of God is present and the Spirit of God is present. When the Word of God, when the truth is present and the Spirit of truth is at work, then our eyes are opened and then we can see who we've been. Often we can be so blind. And I pray that in this season that's been hard for all of us, Because I recognize there are people that are on one end or the other of this spectrum on we need a social distance and are nervous or no, we should just meet and stop being so fearful. And we need to just show grace with each other and recognize that we need mercy and to extend it to our fellow brothers and sisters without it denying or minimizing what we're doing without blaming others. And so you see with Peter that he recognized what he did and Jesus was trying to restore him and not leave Peter in a position where he would be always wondering. Jesus didn't ignore it. Have you ever had someone in your family that maybe does something or hurts a family and then it's like they want to show up at Thanksgiving to the house with all the family there and hey, pass the gravy. And it's like, whoa, stop. What if we pass the restoration first? What if we, what if we talk through what's happened and really steward our relationships well and take this seriously and acknowledge you have done something. You've hurt everyone else around this table and we have to work through that so that we can be reconciled and not ignore what happened. Jesus was not going to ignore what Peter did. He's acknowledging, Peter, what you did is wrong. And we have to reconcile the relationship. So that way Peter would not live with this doubt. Does Jesus really love me? Does he really accept me? Am Am I good with Jesus after all that I've done? Jesus was loving Peter, saying, let me restore you. You've denied me. Now let me restore you so that we can be close. You can experience my joy. So being lifted up begins, number one, with a recognizing that you've blown it. Number two, second step, is a returning to your first love. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me three times? He wanted Peter to return to his first love, to come back home to Jesus. And he says, do you love me more than these Now, the text doesn't actually say what these are. It says, you love me more than these. These could be, do you love me more than these fish that you just caught? You had forgotten about me, Peter, and you had gone back to your old life of of making your living with fishing. And here's this huge catch. Here's this huge financial windfall that you've just received. Do you love me more than this financial success? Do you love me more than your career or your comfort or whatever the money it is that you're wanting, the status that it gives you? Do you love me more than material possessions, Peter? Maybe Jesus meant to love me more than these other men. Like, do you love me more than these people? As in, Peter, do you love me more than other people? Do you value me? Do you treasure me more than other relationships? Do you love me more than your wife or your kids? Or your husband, do you love me more? Or did he mean, do you love me more than these other men love me? As in, do you love me with everything that you've got? Your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love me through my strength more than you could ever imagine you could love me. 
So I don't actually know. The text is, is unclear on love me more than these. And I think the reason Jesus spoke that way was on purpose. To leave it open-ended and to leave it holistic. To say you don't have to choose. It's actually all of it. Do you love me more than your career or your status or your money or other people? Do you love me more than you ever thought you could because of my spirit is strengthening you? Do you love me? A lot of people that are Christians follow Jesus honestly. They're following a system. They're following a formula. And I see this all the time with churches and with conferences and leadership conferences where pastors get together. All they talk about is a formula and the system. And I'm just thinking, do you actually love Jesus or do you just love a system? And that's our question. Because following Jesus, being a believer is loving a person, not a system or a formula or a set of beliefs. It is about loving a person. And Jesus here might sound to you like a codependent, insecure person saying, oh, I need everyone to just love me. Just, I need your love. I need your affirmation. Peter, love me. No, that's not Jesus. Let's just be clear. Jesus was not being codependent here. Jesus was not saying, Peter, I need you to love me for my own validation. Jesus is a member of the eternal trinity. He's the eternal son of God. Jesus is not needy. He's been enjoying the spirit and the father for eternity. And so it's not as though Jesus needs anything from us. When Jesus says, love me, what he's saying is, fulfill your purpose. I have made you for my pleasure, for my joy. And so when we love Jesus, what we're doing is fulfilling our purpose for existing and it's a source of joy. Jesus is saying, you can go anywhere else for joy, but it's going to leave you empty. Come love me because I am the fountain, the source of hope and joy. So when he says, love me, what he's saying is, come find joy, come find life. Come find purpose. Come find me. It's for our blessing and for display of his glory. Do you love Jesus more than these, all of these things in life? So the steps towards being picked back up after really falling down is first of all, we recognize that we've messed up and then we return back to loving Jesus. We return to the first love. Step three, we receive the mercy of Jesus. We receive it. Peter here was receiving the mercy of Jesus. You see, Peter had messed up and offended and betrayed Jesus in his hour of need. And what you see here with this restoration with Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me? What he was doing was restoring Peter and was expressing mercy to Peter. Repentance is the word here. Returning back to Jesus and receiving his mercy, the word for that is to repent. Repent means to turn around. It means doing an about face. It means going the exact opposite direction that you were going before. And repentance is the path towards receiving the mercy of God. If we don't repent, we don't receive God's mercy. That is the path towards receiving his mercy is repentance. 
which is why the Old Testament prophets over and over and over said, repent, turn away from your sin, turn back to God. And why Jesus over and over said, repent and believe in the gospel, turn away from your sin and turn back to me. And Peter did this. How do I know? Because a couple of months later, in Acts chapter 3, after this very conversation with Jesus, you have Peter who stands up and preaches a sermon. And he says, and this is in Acts 3, 19 and 20, he says, repent. And he, he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You catch that? Peter experienced the mercy of God. He says, when you repent, what happens is then you receive the refreshing that comes from the presence of Jesus. Repentance is turning away from that sin and turning back to your first love, which is where you receive his mercy and his love. Repentance is not rationalizing your sin. It's not minimizing it or pretending it's not that bad or shifting the blame to others. Repentance is marked by genuine sorrow, brokenness over what you've done. It is marked by no excuses. It is marked by an open confession, admitting what you've done. It is marked by a seeking reconciliation. So confession and repentance are not the same. Confession, you agree with God. You, you admit what you did. Repentance is the actual path towards God, away from that sin. So confessing is not enough. Confessing is the first step. Repenting is the path that you take towards Jesus in faith. And it results in refreshing, receiving the mercy of Jesus. So when you fall, the first thing you do is by the grace of God, you acknowledge, you, you recognize what you've done. And then you return back to your first love. And then you receive this mercy of Jesus that flows to you as you repent. You receive it. You feel it. And it changes your heart where you hate that sin and you love Jesus. It's faith. It's walking in the Spirit. It is turning to enjoy Jesus more than your own sin. And the last step, number four, is you reclaim your calling. You reclaim it because God has a purpose for you. He has a calling for you and he wants you to reclaim that calling. You see, Peter here is told three times, do you love me? And Jesus is asking him and Peter says, yes. And Jesus responds, okay, if you love me, I'm restoring you, now go and feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Go tend to my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, go take care of my sheep. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing Jesus restoring the purpose of Peter. He's restoring him to being a shepherd who will teach the word and care for the lambs. So the infants, the young believers, but also care for and teach the sheep. The more mature believers, they also need the word. And so what you see here that Jesus is doing, he is saying, Peter, I know you blew it. I know you messed up. I know you feel horrible of what you've done. I know you've repented. Receive my mercy and reclaim your 
purpose. Do not live with that guilt because Jesus already paid the price. So your guilt nailed to the cross. Everything that you've done, everything that would just leave you ashamed and draw you far from God and leave you in the pit and in depression and in sadness and, and you believe, God could never use me. I've messed up too bad. I'm up on the shelf now. And God, God can't use me because of who I've been. I'm done. I'm just here sitting in a pew. God could never use me. That's a lie. And it, it's Jesus who wants you to hear, stand up, O man and woman of God, and reclaim your purpose. Jesus is telling you today, I paid for that sin. You bear it no more. Stand up. Become the man or woman I'm calling you to be. Experience my mercy and let my spirit empower you where you can leave that sin behind you and go walk forth in victory because I have overcome the enemy and death itself. Can I guarantee you it's going to be easy? No. Jesus told Peter, you're going to suffer for me, for my glory. But you trust me. You follow me because I'm worth it. Jesus is worth it. We trust him. We look to him. And what we have right now in this life that is so brief, you get to live 80, 90 years, and after that, you'll be in eternity. And you'll have an eternity of remembering this life. And of saying, thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. And this life is just but a blink. And what awaits us is an eternity in the presence of Jesus, enjoying him forever on the new earth. So whatever you're facing today, however bad you think it is, Jesus' arm is not too short or too weak to reach you. Will you receive the mercy of Jesus and believe that there is hope after failure? There is. Renewal Church, we need to hear this message loud and clear. Will you reclaim your calling? And live on mission so that we can spread the renewal of God in this county and across the world because Jesus is better. And because we know that no matter how bad we've blown it, He picks us up. May we be a people of hope because we have hope in Jesus.